Good people of Los Angeles, welcome back to another episode of the FC, FC, FSA, FSA pod. Tonight in the backyard, we have an extremely seismic even guest, a, a great event after having learned about David through our good folks at The Land and uh, Josh Feist getting a sort of a tap on the shoulder like, why don't we, why don't we have someone special? We have David Kim on the podcast. Uh, he's running for the Congressional District 34. Uh, here in Los Angeles, California, which would mean he would go represent a huge swath of the city in our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Um, we really, really recommend looking into what David's doing. It's really fascinating. We get into who David is as a, as a human first on the pod and sort of his journey to become, um, you know, someone running for office, uh, which is really, for him, unthinkable even just a few years ago. It's just inspiring to hear about and... Um, Slim, I don't know. We, we had a great conversation. Do you want to hit him with the warning? Yes, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in the backyard of Dweezy's place at Expo Park. There are cars driving by, helicopters flying, dogs barking. And as per usual, we will be using the potty mouths that God gave us. So if you're around children or at work where you shouldn't be listening to profanity, this is a good time to stop listening. Go vote, motherfuckers. Yeah. Shout out AOC. Shout out David. Shout out Blackpink. FCFC pod where two scholars and a dickhead look at the world through a black and gold tinted lens. I'm your favorite fat Korean. It's your boy Slim. To my left is the bearded one, the Dweez. Good evening. <laughs> to my right is Josh Sexy Spice. We're out here. <laughs> and we have a very special guest. You guys all know him. Ryan Wallerson will be our third scholar today because we have a smart person here and we I don't know those types of questions, so <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll do what I can. <laughs> and tonight we have a very special guest sitting across the table from us. Uh, we somehow got into the lane of politics in, in the year of 2020, guys. So uh, Everything's politics, Slim. <laughs> Everything's political now. Uh, the congressional candidate for the 34th District of Los Angeles, Mr. David Kim, is in the backyard. How's it going, David? Yes. Cheers. Uh, cheers. Welcome to the backyard. Welcome to the backyard. Yes. This is awesome. Oh, man. We're so, glad to have you, man. So, David, on our podcast, you know, we've talked a lot about people's first memories of things to sort of start the conversation. Talked about the first memories of football a lot, this sport. Um, I think last week we asked Jeff about his first memory of politics. But I kind of want to hear, because I think you grew up in a few different places. I want to hear what's your first memory of Los Angeles. Oh, my gosh. Uh, first first thought of Los Angeles, um, I moved here from New York after law school to start working at uh, the DA's office. Not not Jackie Lacey. It's pre-Jackie Lacey. Mm -hmm. um, but in the public integrity division against corrupt public officials. And I was super excited. Um, just to start and then the county went on a hiring freeze mm. and then that's where my grind and hustle living a two to three j job grind and hustle continued for eight years so so yeah so that that's my first experience moving to LA and just having my job taken away and, and yeah then, and then, and then, then doing the struggle ubering and, and yeah. whatnot to to make ends meet and just yeah. hustling that's I yeah. mean that's in a way to come into LA like you wouldn't you wouldn't think that that would be characteristic of Los Angeles like because people move here to pursue their dreams mm -hmm. but then it's like you come and it's like oh shit what the <laughs> this is not what I imagined it but I think that's it's very reflective and like of, of everyone's experiences I mean uh, based on the people I know who moved here to Los Angeles yeah how it's I not mean, what they expected the aspiring actor that's yeah. the bartender or server exactly for, for forever right yeah it's, it's yeah it's definitely part of the story yeah. But you know when it goes wrong for somebody that comes from like the middle of the country, they could 
end up like deer in the headlights, right? But you came with that New York hustle, so you kind of roll with the punches. Look at you yeah, trying to big lights. up New York whenever you can. Stop <laughs> that. I take it you're from New York. I only went to law school there, but I love it. But uh, but no, my parents are up in the Bay, in the Bay Area. Gotcha. Yeah. So I I I I, I went to so many different high schools. I think I went to four high schools? No, three high schools. Three um, high schools, wow. Three so high schools in four years? Three <laughs> three high schools in four years, yeah. Nice. Because it was just, so being that, I don't know about you guys, if you remember high school days, okay. but being the new kid is the most frightening thing in the world. And yeah. I had to do that, um, yeah, a, a couple few times. And I think that's from those experiences, from all the other experiences I've had in life, that's like where I'm I'm operating from and, and um, that's where I have my eye for like those who are unseen, unheard, um, who, who don't have somebody advocating for them. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so I think that's just become a part of who I am and, and how I grew up. But, but yeah, I, I do miss New York. I'll, I'll visit sometime, but I wouldn't live there though. What two <laughs> years did you get to spend in the same school? Like freshman, sophomore, uh, freshman, sophomore. San Jose, I've spent my junior and senior year in San Jose okay, High up in cool. NorCal. Yeah. It's cool that you got like the last two. The last two, yeah. 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 I was hoping that was the answer. And somewhere yeah. like San Jose. What, what were some of the other places you were at? Um, my, we lived, I was born in Arizona. Okay. Um, lived there till age five. My dad was a pastor. Mm -hmm. So he immigrated to the States. And um, he, yeah, he, he, he immigrated to the States because um, he just had a calling to pastor Korean people that immigrated here. Mm. But specifically Korean wives who had non-Korean husbands. Um, oh, so military men. Uh -huh. So I was born in Sierra Vista near the army base in Arizona. Um, and then my dad went to go pastor another church with Korean wives and non-Korean husbands. Um, and so that was up in Tacoma, Washington near Fort Lewis. Mm. And so um, my brother and I, like, we always kind of wondered, hey, why is it that we're like the only full Koreans? And like all of our friends were half Korean, mm. which was pretty cool. But we'd be like, why don't we have blue eyes like you? Or why isn't, why isn't our hair like that? Mm. But um, so that's where we just like we we were born in and grew up in diversity and experienced all of that. Um, so, yeah, so that's really helped shape my worldview of things. I mean, that's pretty wild because like so Sam and I as well are <coughs> both full Korean, but that's the, the whole kind of multiracial, biracial identity of Koreanness and even being an identity within identity here in this country. Yeah, I think. We like I didn't even grow up around a lot of people who were um, of multi multi ethnicities like that. So, like, how does that develop an understanding of your um, Asian Americanness to to understand that when whether it's a mix between um, uh, like Korean Koreans and non Koreans, or even you as a full blooded Korean American person, you're born in the states. Like, where does that? How does that inform your identity as an Asian American and now politician in that? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. Um, well, for for us growing up in Washington State. <coughs> Um, I, I guess I always kind of want to tell this story is my brother and I would always hate to just look out the window when my parents were stopping at a stoplight because the moment we did there would be some other kid um, doing this to us mm. or doing this to us and we just hated looking out the window of our yeah. car um, and so just even going to school being called garlic and, and all of that so it's it's not something that um, they would call you garlic. We we would be called garlic. Shout like, out, dude! Fucking, they they know how to hit at the core, but we do so, eat a lot of garlic. Dude. <laughs> yeah. We love garlic. <laughs> yeah. So so at first I was like, what's wrong with eating garlic? And then I didn't know that they were making fun of us. Yeah, and then yeah. I was like, oh, okay, so that's being made fun of. Okay, maybe we should stop eating kimchi. And so oh, my mom, sure. my mom had to stop eating kimchi Monday through Thursday. Mm. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, it's so great. That's probably real. so many Korean people's stories. <laughs> oh, for you know sure, I mean? man. Outside so, of New York and California, where yeah. like. We had enough Koreans where if like someone made fun of our food, like all right, we have a group of Koreans that can fight, like just yeah. run it, you know what <laughs> I mean? But yeah. like in like like Washington or like Idaho or somewhere, like yeah, people had to stop eating yeah. their native food at yeah. schools. It's, it's you guys, neither of you guys ever had to do that. Um, no, I definitely wanted my mom to like bring me McDonald's instead of of like a kimchi fried rice yeah. back in the day but oh now I'm gosh. like yo I love kimchi yeah. fried rice I was tripping oh yeah. my gosh if you brought kimchi fried rice to school in your lunchbox oh. you wouldn't open that oh, oh yeah. I did I wouldn't open it even <laughs> I, mean, I like, remember I lunch today. chop chai which is even one of our stinkier foods yeah but I packed it opened it and like I pretty yeah. sure it was my friend Mike yeah but yeah he was like what's that but he also he also like 
bit into a mozzarella stick one time and thought it was a fish stick and like threw up so no i like grew up in like a predominantly white um middle school high school and so like i remember when and so like i would be invited to friends houses and like eat be fucking jazzed to eat meatloaf for the first time because i saw it on tv i don't know what <laughs> yeah. the hell it was yeah. meatloaf is nasty by the way and or like my friends would make um marshmallow fluff sandwiches and then i was like i, th- I was telling my mom like, we got to get we got to eat like these white kids we got to get this like yeah. yeah my mom's like i'm not gonna make you fucking lunch with marshmallows in it you <laughs> idiot <laughs> like, it's like you need nutrition so you just yeah. got the nano like straight up like, oh no she's like yeah. that's ridiculous like you're yeah. actually these are things that like the stuff that we cook for you at home is gonna help you like grow into a person like, yeah and like that. yeah how did your parents react like how are they helping I mean, they, navigate they, the waters for you. It was weird because, and I'll go back to your question, but it was weird because my my parents, they wanted us to assimilate and like, mm-hmm. so they didn't let us watch Korean TV on weekdays, even though they did. And and then they, they did all of that, but yet they would hit us every time we spoke in English to them because mm-hmm. they wanted us to speak in Korean to them. So confusing. And, yeah. then, and then they would be like, don't call me by my first name, I'm your mom. Like yeah, you yeah. say mom and you, you add the formal tone at the end. And I'm like, <laughs> But you said we could be American, <laughs> not in my house. And it's like, what? And so there was a point where I was like, okay, mom, so when I walk out the door, can I be American? And she's like, yes. And I'm like, and <laughs> I called simple her. simple is that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, so, that, I mean, so they did all that they could to, like, help us assimilate. I think um, for me, like, there was a moment where my mom came to school because I had forgotten something. And my friends were just saying, hey, David, your mom's here. The first thought wasn't, oh, I'm so thankful my mom brought it. The first thought, because my mom and dad, they 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 did a lot of saving face mm-hmm. growing up. And so monkey see, monkey do. That's mm-hmm. what we learned, too. And so the first thought that I had was, oh, I'm, it wasn't, oh, I'm grateful that my mom brought it. It was, oh, shit, she doesn't speak English. It's mm-hmm. going to be so embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. people are going to say, why doesn't David's mom speak English? Yeah. Didn't she have a funny accent? So then I ran to my locker and I saw my mom and I yelled at her and I said, why are you here? You're embarrassing me. Mm. And mm. I took what she brought and then I ran away and I came home and my mom, she was in bed all night and I asked my dad what was up and he said, oh, she's just not feeling well. But then I knew that she was so heartbroken that I had done that to her. Um, and my dad told me later that she had cried for, for a while. And so that's that's kind of when I noticed, oh shit, like I, sh- I shouldn't be like, um, I guess embarrassed of who I am and whatnot, mm. and, and so then that's where I started <laughs> making myself listen to K-pop back in the days. Hell and yeah! Like, I was like, oh, this is K-pop, okay. And so I was I was starting to embrace all of that. All right. So who were some of the artists that you were listening to at that time? Uh, Lula, REF, Sateji, Gupi, like yeah. just other the yes. OGs. The OGs, yeah. Of like the yeah that K-pop era. Who yeah. laid down the groundwork yeah. for what the K-pop for what is today, is right? Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, no, going back to your question in terms of, I guess, the diversity for me, it was because I saw my church friends who were half Korean also being made fun of because the, they didn't look full black. They didn't look full white. They mm. didn't look full Mexican mm. because they were half Korean and something else. Mm. Like I saw them get hurt a lot, too. Um, and so I think it was just this bigger awareness and realization of, holy shit, like we're all unique and different. Why are we being made fun of for this? Like mm. there's no reason to be. And I think. That's what um, kind of broadens my world's word, world's uh, view on things, and um, yeah. So it's yeah. I guess it's um, it's it's not surprising. Well, yeah. So with with that being said, while while my brother and I continue to progress and 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 get, I guess I don't know what you would call it, get more left or get more progressive. Mm-hmm. My parents still stayed in their bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, because they immigrated in the early 80s mm-hmm. from a co- very conservative Korea. Yeah. And, um, and so I had some difficulty uh, a couple years ago when I came out to them mm-hmm. um, because my dad's a pastor. And for a pastor, like, that's the last thing you want to hear from your son mm-hmm. um, because now you totally fucked up on raising your son because your son's going to go to hell now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so with that, like, those are kind of the elements of, like, immigrant family and the parent and children and like it doesn't help them on top of the fact that my boyfriend's half Congolese and half African American mm. and, and so it's like I mean 
with the sexuality, with the race, with my progressive views, they think I'm the devil child. <laughs> <laughs> even now, even now, even now. But oh. the, but they're like, oh, but he's running for office, and so. <laughs> oh, we, like, so <laughs> fucking Korean. And I'm oh and I'm like, God. you guys don't even believe in 100% of what I'm fighting for. Yeah, but yeah. you're all proud that I'm like running for office. He on the hey, TV. Hey, that's, that's yeah. what you get in the Korean newspaper. So it doesn't matter what you're doing. Yeah. Like you you made it. <laughs> yeah. So. So it's, it's interesting, like, there's a lot of kind of just being mindful, knowing when to say things at what appropriate times, mm-hmm. because for each person, there's there's different paces and progresses that they're at. So it's just being understanding of that. Um, and so I think on a on a bigger scale, like, there's, there's people that might not be signed on to certain people's platform or candidates or issues or policies, mm-hmm. and I'm aware of that, and, like, um, and so kind of having seen my dad play politics in the church, mm-hmm. I feel like I can really play that well in Congress, mm-hmm. even though I am uh, very outspoken, direct, uh, progressive and push for those ideals. I can still work across um, the aisle, just like what I'm doing with my parents mm-hmm. who think who who when who when Trump became president, they included us in this. You guys would know they included us in this messenger app called Kakao Talk. Mm-hmm. Sure, we and know. That's what we used oh. to organize our podcast. Oh, okay, Don't worry about it. We're, we're in on it. Yeah, Sponsor no, the pod. Yeah, and I and I remember my mom and dad. The moment he won, they were like, "Praise God, yeah. Jesus is saving America. Trump is the prophet, or whatever <laughs> stuff they were saying." Um, and so, but I know where they're coming from, and and what what's in like, what's their what's the basis for that, mm-hmm. and so kind of given that i feel like i've i've um i definitely have uh the ability to see things um in a kind of a more 360 view Mm -hmm. and and to be able to just have patience and and to work with people as as they deal with things but and for you guys like was it with church because you guys are both involved in church Mm -hmm. growing up too just like uh most koreans yeah (laughs) so what you know what would 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 your parents also have like the same action reactions if either of you two decided you wanted to run for office or like and you were pushing sort of more progressive things would you guys also get that same sort of pushback or is the atmosphere i guess your parents weren't pastors i guess that's the biggest difference mm-hmm. right yeah um, they were the pastor's kids for ryan oh they were but uh, both my mom's dad and my dad's dad were pastors. oh so you're harabuchi yeah oh yeah. nice um What's the question? So the question is just like, what if what if you guys decided to run for office, and what would your parents think? And would they would would it be sort of like the way David's describing it? Yeah, I think because of my like, I think with a lot of Korean parents to their kids, like there is that language barrier, kind of the same way they want us to speak English. And learn that, but then when you're home, you're speaking Korean. But after a while, like, the Korean start, starts to, you know, you don't progress your Korean as much. So I've never really gone into politics with them, so I can't really say if they'd be, like, you know, as far as, you know, being more progressive. But because we know what generation our parents come from, we know that, for the most part, they do lean more conservative. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm sure we'd have differences, but... Like I said, once you're in the Korean newspaper, you made it. Fam. Yeah, yeah. No, they you don't give a fuck. Let's go. <laughs> That's my son. That's right. Josh, it everywhere. Same for you. About same that you described. You know, it's a little different for me. I mean, I've said on the on the pod before that you know my my dad, um, in, in particular, is, is uh, kind of was more lenient and everything would kind of let me find my own way. I think um, the the I think the only thing the caveat I'd say is uh, the similarities between I think our parents, all, all of our parents' generation, is that. Korean immigration as it happened in that generation they were leaving a country that was still reeling from post-war stuff like that and so there's a lot of the conservatism that comes is this fear of uh, the maybe fairly unfairly the communist the communist threat of China and North Korea all the time and so Koreans and now Korean Americans a lot of them have naturalized of that generation often still carry this mindset of a Korea from the 60s or the 70s that is way more conservative than it has been today. So they've been here in the States trying to make ends meet, you know, trying to hustle and grind for their kids to make it while still maintaining this idea that Korea is still this really, like, cons- like, like fighting third world country stuff. Yeah, third world, but <laughs> at the same time, like, out there in Korea, they've been having their grassroots movement. They have the demo and protest culture out there is huge, and it always has been. It's been a big part of that. So Korean-Americans of a certain age have this kind of stunted idea of even global Korean politics, and I think that informs a lot of 
oh, what God. they what they what they talk about, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Like even when it comes to the Korea Peninsula issue, sure, yeah, yeah. Holy shit, I had no idea my parents were that conservative. Yeah. Just kind of talking about, hey, Dad, what do you think we should do with Korea Peninsula? And he was just saying, yeah, what Trump is doing is great. What Pompeo is doing is great. You just need to fucking just bulldoze North Korea and get them to give up. And it's like, no, that's not how you do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, and so, um, so I was, I was just realizing, oh my gosh, like my parents are way, way conservative, like seventies, mm-hmm. eighties. Um, like even there's, there's way many more parents in Korea that accept their gay children than the parents here mm-hmm. in, in the Korean American community. So. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely. It's that's definitely that. been progressing a lot more in Korea yeah. lately too. It's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. R- Ryan's the son of two immigrants as well, and so like, what kind of, yeah, like, what was that tension in your household like at, for like political stuff, Ryan? So my dad came here in the '60s uh, when he was 12, and uh, he was w- working two jobs pretty quickly. Got uh, roped up into the army at a young age, and basically came out of it with a uh, disenfranchisement of the entire American machine. You're? Mm. And so, like, I've been forbidden from the four branches of the armed forces basically since I was conceived. I heard it hundreds of times. Mm -hmm. Like, it was not an option. Like, no matter, I could have, like, completely flunked out of everything, and it was not an option to, like, conscript into the army. Uh, Which was always kind of a, you know, knowing, like, seeing my friends and, like, hearing what their parents would say, it's like, wow. That's uh, valuable. But would they say the same for, like, political stuff? Like, political um, activism? Or if you decided, hey, Pops, I'm going to run for office. So, no. I think fr- from that side, they were especially on the behalf of my mom, there would have been a lot more understanding and support in just anything I did, being the only child. But she was a lot more politically inclined than he. Like, my dad was just kind of like, you know, fucking. Is, is that a Haiti thing, <laughs> do you think? Is that, like, a Haitian? Is there a, is there a similar protest culture in Well, Haiti? you know, obviously, Haiti has a very, very 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 strong history of uh, uh protest and dissent being the first organized black republic after you know yeah. freeing is liberating itself from the french shout out yep. but um I, I i do think that there's an effect there's an effect there's a correlation that comes down from like that pride coming here and wanting to know what's going on but also mm. a desire for that assimilation into you know american affairs i think politics is a really easy way for someone who's not of this land to you know, immerse themselves in circles of people who are from here. If you like know a place's politics and you're able to talk about them, not only from a theoretical standpoint, but actually have like opinions and perspectives because that shows a certain level of investment in where you are. I think it's a good way to connect to people. And uh, in my mom's, both of my mom's industries of business and education, that was something she had to be able to do. And she was also just a social person. Uh, that you know cared about the world and the community around her so not only like the big elections but we'd also pay attention to like everything down to like you know neighborhood comptrollers like we would go to those town halls and stuff (laughs) that's good Um, so from an early age like I I understood the importance of it from her side but I also had a healthy dose of skepticism from my father and I feel like the combination have left me where I am which is able to you know able to appreciate the spectrum but also like see the bullshit interesting no that's that's interesting how you say that because you made me think of my upbringing and i realized (laughs) my parents probably fucked up in their raising a kid because they would (laughs) they would enforce and make us do everything like we would come back from school and there would be this this sheet this excel spreadsheet type thing on the refrigerator Mm. there would be like three sides of english three sides of she she got us these homework study packets so they're two years above what you're learning at your grade school Mm -hmm. So she had us complete that. Then she had us complete two hours of piano. Then she had us do chores for two hours. And then all of these other things. And we would put stars next to them. Yo, and you if had we were, the most intense Korean we, parents. And if we, were, <laughs> if we were missing a star, we would get hit on the hands or hit on our... Um, the bottom of our the feet. B- bottom or the feet. Yeah. Or the so back of the calves. Or the back of the mm-hmm. calves. Or you raise your hand, arms for three hours <laughs> yeah. and you stand oh, in the corner. What? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Dude, So every Korean knows about like... all right. Yes. <laughs> and if you're like getting in trouble for not studying, you're carrying your textbooks. And like, they'll like leave the room and they'll come back like 15 minutes later when it's like down here. They're like, back up. Yeah, then they hit you to put it back up. Yeah. But, but yeah, no, I, it's, they were, they were like the tiger parents or whatever mm-hmm. you call them. Um, so I think what happened is we just went complete, or I, not my brother, because he's such an angel son, but <laughs> I went completely the other way. 
because they were just not giving us our own time to think, to breathe, mm-hmm. to to make decisions for ourselves. Like I remember growing up, and like even when it was election time, the Republican Party goes crazy. They send pamphlets and materials like no other to every single church, and so our church would get hundreds and hundreds of booklets and pamphlets about who to vote for mm. and above the democratic candidates there would be like devil horns Sick. and and so from early on okay. i was brainwashed to think republicans are the christian moral party democrats are the evil motherfuckers that you need to vote out and like never go near mm. but then once i got to and this was their mistake um i went to berkeley for college which mm. is like one of the most liberal <laughs> so then everything was undone mm-hmm. um and so that's where i, I really found myself um, so the undoing process that didn't even begin until you set foot on those on those uh, sacred you know sidewalks and lawns of berkeley or had you even in high school like started to like understand things from a different perspective yeah i think it was just um I mean, when you're an, when you're a teenager and you're adolescent, like you're freaking horny, <laughs> and so uh, in my senior year, I just it was because um, I don't know. I, for me, it was kissing a girl was so frightful, <laughs> and so I, I remember uh, I don't know if I'll share this one, but I remember having my own um, experience in senior year of high school and slipping out of the house mm-hmm. and um, having that experience, and so. I guess that was the first time where I just thought, hey, like, like I have thoughts and feelings and whatever things I want to experience, too. Mm. Right. And so I think that was like the precursor probably to going to Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And was yeah. that part of your decision why you chose Berkeley was because you knew that it had that history or was it just sort of like you got into several schools and it just happened to be Berkeley that you went to? Yeah. Um, no, it's because I didn't get into Stanford. And so that was the end of the world <laughs> for my parents. <laughs> And uh, the, the backup to them was Berkeley, um, the next best thing in California. So, That's right. so then and you're I, close I to Berkeley. Wait, so uh, where, are you, where are you living at this point? San Jose. Yes, I know. They're, they live in Santa Clara. Gotcha. Yeah, and but then when you're applying to schools, are they in they're in uh, Northern California? Yeah, they were all in NorCal. Gotcha, because my gotcha. my parents didn't want me to go to UCLA or USC because then we would be hours away. And sure. oh, get this. So in college. Like, I, I couldn't join a fraternity or anything because my brother told my parents that they were evil-worshipping <laughs> clubs. And, I mean, or probably, devil worshiping probably some clubs truth in there. Yeah. <laughs> Older brother? That's the one place where there might be some truth. <laughs> yeah. And then I couldn't do a bunch of other stuff. And so um, so d- every weekend, my parents would have us drive home from Berkeley to Santa mm-hmm. Clara. So we would drive home every Friday afternoon. My parents, every wow. time the end of the semester and picking your classes would come, they'd be like, don't pick any Friday afternoon classes. You must come down and teach help your mom teach piano students and so we would always make sure that our latest class on friday ended at 11 a.m 12 p.m <laughs> so then we would go down to my mom's piano after school piano thing and and teach her students and then um saturday also teach her students as well um and then sunday we taught in sunday school all day and so it was because of that and then i had to play piano in the church um and so there was one point where i was like no i'm not going home this weekend imagine a 20 year old 21 year old saying that but they're like no you're coming home this weekend i'm like no i'm not and then i actually ran away for four days <laughs> and i slept at a, a berkeley friend's place and i i told my brother hey i'm just gonna disappear my brother i just disappeared because i knew that my brother's so nice mm-hmm. yeah. as the eldest son and like i don't know he always has this soft spot for my parents mm-hmm. so he would totally rat me on. out yeah yeah so so I didn't want him to snitch on me, and so I didn't give him where I was. But then eventually my friend snitched on me, and so, um, Dang, your so parents had agents. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was that bad where I felt like I didn't have my own freedom, so mm. I had to run away from my parents who didn't even live in Berkeley, to another friend's place because I didn't want to come home for the weekend. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I so it was just that that degree of control that my parents had, mm-hmm. which probably just pushed me completely in the opposite direction. So. I think that's a perfect place to end the first segment. And when we get back, we're going to find out what happened when he got pushed into the other direction. (laughs) Hey, we'll be right back. We're back. 
back here with FCFC Pod. Sam, don't laugh. Sam always laughs when I bring it back in because he thinks I'm being overly dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> but is this he? is my voice. Uh, no, it changes almost every other week. You think so? A little bit. Well, it's radio spice. <laughs> it's a little, it's a little high pitched political today. It was a little sexier two weeks ago. Thank you. Yeah, depend- <laughs> I, I, I like to kind of tune, tune in, tune out on this. But um, you know what? We're here with uh, with David Kim, congressional candidate here in the city of Los Angeles. I'm not gonna like like just saying congressional candidate. It's, it sounds sexy. Yeah, it's, it's a se- it it's, sounds it's sexy. It's a sex appeal, bro. You're bringing you're bringing you're bringing the sex into fucking local politics, man. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I want to say a big, um, you know, I, I have some loves and lives. It's uh, the Lord, soccer, and um, hair. Stalker? Soccer. Oh, soccer. Soccer okay, and, and hair, David. And David, stalker. I was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just Spice has got a stalker. I, just, just I, love <laughs> I love my stalkers. I love my stalkers. But I think one of the first images I saw of you, man, you, were, you, you, were, you had a megaphone up to your mouth. You had a man bun situation going on. Oh, like a long yeah. hair situation COVID going hair. on. Yeah, and it was, um, it was very much... Yeah, did you have a mask on? Was that, that shot taken? Yeah, so it was like COVID times. And yeah. I was like... This is a this is a, a Korean dude yelling, and I, I I just love Korean dudes when they yell in seemingly positive directions, and so <laughs> this is it's, it's 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 like a crazy visual for me. There's a lot of colors around you, and so like, man, this is this is we're here in the heart of it. You talked about like the different cities you grew up in, um, but Los Angeles as kind of this entity, this this passion point for so many people. Like we talked about the diversity in here as well, but like what why are you fighting so hard to represent LA here? As someone who's uh, from that here, yeah, um, I, I wanted to comment on something before. Um, when you see an Asian man um, yell in a seemingly positive way, there was—I don't know—I don't know if yeah, you meant it, but to me, it was so packed because usually when you see. I don't know the the men I, that I the angry Asian men that I've seen are usually drunk. Yeah, they're usually <laughs> drunk or they are beating their families and mm. like in other ways, and so th- that was packed. And so, yeah. um, hopefully, it's I mean, with our generation, it's definitely different. Yeah. Sure. Um, we won't continue those stereotypes or what we've experienced and witnessed. Um, yeah, I was I was so I don't know if I, I don't know if you're talking about the video where I was at my opponent's residence. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, got it. So I did not, just for the record, those listening, I did not organize that protest. I was invited to guest speak at that protest. And so a lot of people are just like, dude, David, why would you organize a protest and go to your opponents? No, I was invited. But um, and it was just to do like a speech about because that protest was about providing the American people a stimulus check that is not just a one-time thing but ongoing Mm -hmm. because people don't have health care they don't have money they don't have ppe they don't have payroll stuff and so it was it was um a national kind of protest on july 11th where people were going to nancy pelosi's house to tony gardenia's house to different congress uh reps houses and so i was i was i was holding up my sign whatever the sign was saying and and we were protesting and then it was okay david it's your turn to speak and as I went up to sp- speak, I just this this the Korean anger yeah. mm. just overtook me, and it like swallowed me up. Mm. Where I was like looking back at the full video, you watch it, I'm, I'm like in a curse stream, and I'm like yelling at the top of my lungs. I, I throw down my face mask because it kept on coming off, mm-hmm. and to me, I got so mad because just thinking that we have elected officials in office. And the part of the speech that got me so riled up was I was talking about how my opponent, our current congressman in north of this district, mm. is um, taking private prison money, mm. um, is taking police pack money, mm. is taking big pharmaceutical healthcare company money, is taking military defense contractor money, and all of these different student debt collector money, mm. payday lender money. And then he says, hey guys, I'm fighting for Medicare for all. It's like, no, you're not. If you continue to vote and increase military expenditures like that, we won't be able to do Medicare for all. Mm-hmm. If you continue to have uh, corporate donors like pharmaceutical companies and healthcare companies whose best interests are to not grant Medicare for all, mm-hmm. what the fuck are you talking about? Why are you lying to the people? And so it was that rage and that just suddenly came up where it was like, 
how dare you say that you're fighting for the people when you're completely doing the opposite? You're allowing our system to continue to be in, you're allowing the system and you're enabling the system to continue to be against the people right now because yeah. we're in a 35 plus year income wage stagnation where masses of people pre-COVID had two to three jobs to make ends meet, where masses of people at least 70% live paycheck to paycheck each month. Mm. And now during COVID, now that's even worse. We have 50 million people that got off health insurance. Like, what are we doing? And how in the world are you going to be sending mailers or email blasts to us saying that you did this and this when it was nothing? And so for me, that's that's where the rage came up. Because just think about it. How in the world would, and this is my opponent, how in the world are you claiming to be fighting for your Latino community when you're the same motherfucker that voted to fund ICE? And then you're also taking money from those private prisons that are contracted by ICE. Mm. And what is the worst thing in the world? To profit off of human suffering. And you're mm. taking that money? No, step down. And mm. so it was that anger that came up. And it's not, it's not just Jimmy. It's reflective of every single elected official yeah. in our city, mm -hmm. whether it be city council or county or whatever. And so now is a time where, and I, and I, when I meet Representative AOC, I will, I will say thank you for empowering us, for all of us to like step up and run, and to show us that it was possible. Mm -hmm. Because if it weren't for her, Bernie Sanders, Andrew Yang, Marianne Williamson, all those other people, I don't think I would have had the courage to run. Also, mm -hmm. but now it's, now it's realizing that. Hey, if a government's supposed to be of, for, and by the people, then it should be working for the people, not corporate interests. Mm -hmm. But during this pandemic, we've seen the biggest transfers of wealth yeah, in congressional recent history to the privileged and the few and the wealthy, mm -hmm. to military defense contractors who got billion-dollar bailouts in a pandemic. Like, and, and we're not giving relief to the American people, yet you want to approve a justice to the Supreme Court right now? What the fuck is going on? And so... It was it's from that anger that that I'm like running for office, putting a pause in my career. Um, and no, and I mean, we're, I think we're feeling the anger yeah. Right yeah. Now. in a good in the best way, in like a way that like, oh, yeah, yeah so definitely. makes me feel charged up. It's it's great. Like when when did that part of it start? Right. Like for you, like when did the, the activism part of you start kind of? Yeah, it's, to well, be? It's because this is like we sort of like we jumped, you know, on the last break from Berkeley and then we have this passionate, <laughs> passionate man yeah. talking about his career, you know, and I think it's great. It's a great, uh, yeah. you know, segue because it's like, okay, like how does that get birthed and how do you, how do you harness that and maintain that? Cause I think we're all of us here probably around the same generation. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, it's not that I was at in 2008, I went to Obama's inauguration in Denver. Like I was in the stadium or not inauguration when he got the nomination for president. And I remember feeling, passion about politics at that time and obviously there's been a series of disillusionment yeah. <laughs> up and down since then but For like sure. yeah how did you you know what what has that been that part of your your journey um yeah activism part and sort of maintaining it all the way up into this decision to run for office yeah no for sure um for me it was definitely 2018 i was um i received i was sitting in a cafe i received a text and it was from this congressional candidate kenneth mejia and it was he was he was saying i'm 26 years old and i'm fighting for student debt cancellation universal health care green new deal all these other things and i was like dude that's bold but i mean there's issues that we really need somebody to fight for mm -hmm. and then i and then it really stuck with me because he was asian american yeah, filipino yeah, yeah. and i was like oh dude this is amazing he's younger he's he's really fighting for it and so then i ended up meeting him loved the guy so i ended up um, campaigning for him hardcore um, i did i was in charge of his social media videos um Unfortunately, he lost. Mm. Um, he ran as a Green Party member, but he did really well because in our district, there's less than 1%, not even 1% are Green Party registered, mm -hmm. but he won 30% of the general election vote. Wow. So that means a third of Democrats voted for him and not their own guy in office. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw that, I was like, Kenneth, you need to run again. This time run as a Dem, you'll totally beat Jimmy. Mm -hmm. But he, uh, he had already run twice, and so he was very burnt out. And so kind of coupled with that experience, along with my, at that time, eight years in L.A. doing the grind and hustle of two to three jobs, mm -hmm. it was like, dude, something's not right. Like, no matter how much you work, how, no matter how much you give, 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 give and pay in taxes, there's never light at the end of the tunnel. Something's fucked up. And so that was sort of my my being let out of the birdcage in 2018. Mm. And so then since then, I've been organizing and like being I mean, very that's involved. That's in incredible. That's two, that's two years ago. Mm -hmm. Like so, so we're talking like three years ago. It, 
would the version of you believe that you'd run for office? Was that like even in your? Oh hell, no way! <laughs> it was. I wanted Kenneth to like make it to office, and so I was yeah. campaigning hardcore for him. But then after he lost, a lot of us didn't know what to do with our mm -hmm. time because we were so passionate on helping him win. So then. I went to do neighborhood council. I ran, so I'm currently serving on neighborhood council and, and serving in other ways. Some other people, like Jane, um, she went to go form K-Town for All. Um, oh. and, and so, like, different different members of that whole campaign crew went out and started doing their own things. And that's Shout out Jane, K-Town for All. Yeah, the people, man. Exactly. What was, yeah. what was homeless it like, neighbors. The, the neighborhood council thing? Because I think it, you're in MacArthur Park, right? Yeah, correct. What was that like? Like, how do you, you know, you're just a just a person living in a place and now you're gonna like be on the council and like how did that how did that process go yeah i mean it's very it's a it's a it's a process that you can definitely jump into if you live in la and you're hearing this so los angeles has 99 neighborhood councils mm -hmm. each neighborhood council serves about forty thousand residents and they have when there's a vacant board member seat um there's either an appointment or election um and so i just decided to run for because there were a lot of vacant positions on our board so then I ran um, I got a board member position and then um, and did you have to campaign for that was it like was there an election was it hard well to get, some neighborhood councils it's really hard to get mm -hmm. so like if you're up in the Wilshire Koreatown neighborhood council you have to campaign and like do the formal stuff for ours there's not a lot of engagement in our neighborhood district um, council area and it's I don't know I mean there's there's many factors to that um, but our our neighborhood council district area is probably one of the poorest mm. um, in LA too uh, the MacArthur Park area right. I think and it's the densest too isn't it and the yeah and the densest yes yeah. correct mm -hmm. and so um, and then so I ran for that and then um, our first meeting there was uh, an officer election by the board members and um, it was it was interesting because our makeup are on our on our board right now. They're mostly people in their 50s and 60s, and they most of them don't speak English, primarily Spanish. Wow. Okay. And so they're moms and dads who have two to three jobs, and they're they're like running to the meeting. I mean, this is pre-COVID, obviously, but running to the meeting afraid that they're going to be late and marked absent or tardy. And so I asked them, I was like, Why are you guys so worried about being marked absent or tardy? Like, we don't get paid for this. And then they were just saying. Well, this is the least we can do for our communities because we've seen families and friends move because of gentrification, because of being displaced. And so even though we don't like the status quo, this is how we hold on to it. And so neighborhood council, the power that we have is to give approval or denial to certain projects, development projects that come in, mm -hmm. along with other things. But that's why these moms are on the board. And so at that first meeting, when it came time to nominate for officers, um, they nominated me for president and then within two minutes i was unanimously elected by all the moms on the board and i was like why the why are you i didn't say why the fuck but why are you guys electing me like yeah what did you is that something like you didn't want you're like no 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 no, no. I was, yeah like, i was like that? why why, why? and then yeah. they were just like oh because you're a lawyer and you you're very precise and direct you don't beat around the bush you're articulate and we need somebody fighting for us like that in our board um who can represent that and and represent our views and be able to articulate and so that for me just was so crushing. And so I, I, was, I remember crying that night and like um, just telling everybody that I would um, help out as much as I could. Mm. Um, so that's that's how I got involved in neighborhood council and, and local organizing. And that was my so yeah, but it was all through Kenneth. Though, it's, so. it's almost like I'm hearing there's one part, you know, the passion that we that we just witnessed. Then one part like people believing in you, mm. like, so, you know, these this group of people all thrust you <laughs> into this leadership position and, you know, kind of from there you form it. But I'm curious, like just hearing from the, the guys that I know I mean like Josh I know is you're active you and these guys started a supporter group you guys have to like do all these there's so many things you have to do not for money I mean you could say that being a supporter leader is a lot like being on the neighborhood council except for instead your neighborhood sort of spread out and you've got all these different you know you're arranging stray cats that are like flying this <laughs> way and that you know like hur herding cats as Aww. they say yeah. um but can you you know can you guys like relate to this this experience of like being the leadership sort of like position having to do all this but not getting paid yeah well it's it's exactly what it sounds like i don't know what you want me to add you know you can't relate started, to that no yeah. but even years before you started doing it would you like have seen yourself doing that like how did it all of a sudden no happen? even when they first asked me i was like what do you mean a supporters group for a team that doesn't exist yet 
for Koreans who I can't get to participate in shit that's passionate. You know right. what I mean? Like, yeah. it's, it was, I definitely didn't think I was going to do it at first. And then, you know, then you get rich come in there and sell you the dream. And yeah, man, it's, if, if you believe in something enough, like, and someone sets you on a course to, to go after it, like, it's kind of hard to not start going. And mm. it's hard to stop, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's a blessing and a curse. It's a whole bunch of you know stuff you got to do and stress you got to take on for, like you said, no monetary value. But when you see things happen, like it's it's gratifying in its own way, and you just use that to keep fueling that fire. Um, yeah. It's it's been dope. It's hard. Yeah, I mean and a I'm little a little context for for you on supporter group culture and what what we're talking about here. But like yeah. we are LAFC fans, essentially like super fans, as some teams would call it. But like we actually have an independent supporters union um, made up of how many groups are officially eight eight official supporter groups that represent different either different neighborhoods or different um, kind of different cultures or ways of supporting the game itself through you know whether it's like super south american style or mexican style or european style yeah and so our group kind of took the took the measure of koreatown and representing a lot of um first it started off as connecting korean and korean american fans to the game more than every four years at a world cup and like yeah. how does that center transferize around koreatown and k-town itself but yeah. um that's kind of what we're talking about it's a lot of like you know it's community building, community building yeah. around soccer yeah. around this team that actually has, has has given a lot back to to the community as well but yeah to big up dope. sam real quick on and i think where i see similarities in terms of um, leadership and the president sam sam co i don't know I, I don't big him up a lot but we literally grew from from six people to a hundred in about i don't know like a, in two years mm -hmm. right and yeah, i think awesome. sam has this really deft touch of like really having a strong kind of a like a moral center, I'd say a lot of stuff, and like a good guy, but like also allowing people to do their own things and uh, extending the freedom to that. And also like, it's, it is kind of a political position because you have to play, you have to play up to different, you know, to different people's, you like everyone is from different neighborhoods and they want yeah. different things out I mean, of this club. A, let's be real, there's elections. Yeah, yeah there's, there's elections there's, that come out, yeah. Even of, of the bigger sort of like thing. It's similar, right? This yeah. is, these are two similar things and, and this club has a very strong civic identity component and there's right. a lot of like, you know, different initiatives by both the club and the supporters who, you know, try to make change happen in the community in yeah. positive ways. It's, you know, very rarely just about whether or not you win or lose the game. Yeah. Um, and so, no, I just, w when you were talking about the, the neighborhood council, that's like the closest, I think for our listeners and for us, that's like the closest thing I can relate it to is like mm -hmm. how you build and create something from scratch. Most of our listeners, you know, maybe aren't like homeowners yet and they're not fixed in neighborhoods yet to where you know they want to take an active role in their neighborhood councils so to speak but they do take an active role in this yeah. thing that they're so passionate about yeah which and is kind of interesting yeah and i think that's the key like what are you most passionate about mm -hmm. that will get you to do that and mm -hmm. like that's what that's what you guys are doing that's what got me with the neighborhood council that's mm -hmm. what jane is doing with k-town for all mm -hmm. like yeah. that's what's that's because if she didn't do it I mean, who's to say K-Town for All would be there? But it had to be her to do it. And mm -hmm. so for those who are listening, like, if, you're, if you have some sort of thing that you're passionate about and you don't know if you should do it, go do it. Take that first step. Because what if you were that person that, what if you were that person that was supposed to bird that out into the world mm -hmm. and everybody else lost out on that? And so I think it's, um, that's, that's really important what you guys, I don't know if you connected on that oh, I'm just I'm just like the floating eyeball who came in I don't even know these guys he's, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, the, he's the author of it all he's the he's no, a storyteller he he's the one that uh in the beginning stages of it all would went around and interviewed every single group to to kind of show how all these different group identities and all the different identities that make the fabric of Los Angeles come together into this community to pour out their passion for their their club, their team, yeah. as well as for the That's city. Beautiful. Yeah, Dweez is oh. like Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings. Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> He's writing this beautiful book, this LAFC history, and then at the end of it, you'll see him close this beautiful leather bound book. Like, hey, we've got we've got a congressional sort of candidate, and I'm gonna be pegged as Bilbo. Bilbo. <laughs> Bilbo. That's rough. That's oh rough. my god. Okay. Oh man. Well, let's take a quick one more break, then we're gonna get back here with David and uh, close Just fly it out. off the hinges. Fly off the hinges. <laughs> Tea time. Uh -oh. Tea time. <laughs>
we're back. FCFC pod. Tea time with Dweez. Tea time. Tea time. We're drinking the Sencha again. Shout out to Little Tokyo in downtown. We got uh, Tea Master, you know, the, sh- the shop that we always love. Mie Prefecture, little Sencha action going on. We got David for another 20 minutes or so back here. David, you went from three years of three high schools in four years to, you know, Berkeley to New York City getting a law degree, come back, becoming a neighborhood council president. Now all of a sudden you're running for count- Congress. I don't know. Next wow. time we see this guy, who knows what this guy's going to be up to. Um, it's so good to have you here, honestly. It's, it's really, really a special, special night. It's two weeks, guys, until the election. Two weeks. We're recording this on uh, Tuesday, October 20th. Um, and I just have to ask you, are you exhausted? Are you tired? Are you, has this been, in, uh, what has it been like to be a political candidate? <coughs> to, to be honest, the last couple days were probably my most tiring moments mm-hmm. out of the, because I filed to run in July of last year. Mm-hmm. So now it's 15 months past and I look back and I'm like, holy shit, if I knew that I would go through all of that, maybe I wouldn't have run. Mm-hmm. But that's the beautiful thing about life. You don't know what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. You just go into it. Um, but I think it's been the tire, the most tiring because our opponent just suddenly realized that he might lose. Mm. Um, and so he's been scrambling. Um, if you go to the Capitol and you, let's say if you, one of your friends was a congressperson and you ask them, hey, who out of the progress- Congressional Progressive Caucus would you say is, does the bare minimum? Probably 80, 90% of them would say Jimmy. Um, so his reputation of doing the bare minimum is known in D.C. as well. Mm. Um, and so the word, like, in the political spheres, it's like, oh, in California, there's actually an incumbent that might lose, and they're talking about our race. And so Jimmy's been scrambling. So just last week alone, he sent six different mailers to all the constituents. Imagine how much money that is. If you were to just send that to the registered voters, 300,000 times six, that's 1.8 million copies he just put out into them. And he's saying that he's all for the environment and stuff. And then, but it's besides that, though, on these mailers, because he doesn't have a picture of himself and Bernie together, mm-hmm. he puts a comic caricature or, or, or a face of Bernie on his mailers mm-hmm. with a previous quote of Bernie's from years ago, acting as if Bernie endorsed him. Mm-hmm. And then he does that with the mailers. With um, He puts AOC on his mailers and then puts a quote. Um, from her about him from years ago too and so now our constituents are so confused they're like what when did Bernie and AOC endorse Jimmy like Mm. Jimmy's he's not the type of person that would be endorsed by these people and so this whole past 10 days when canvassing on the street or meeting people in person I've had so many people come up and say oh you're David Kim I'm so excited I voted for you during the primary but I don't know if I'll be voting for you this time because Bernie endorsed Jimmy and I'm like Bernie did not endorse Jimmy he's misleading every single constituent right now and and so another person came up to me and said oh yeah I don't think I'll be voting for you because I heard AOC endorsed Bernie it's like no these are what these political polit- career politicians do mm-hmm. they play with our they try to manipulate us and so that's got that got me really tired um, I guess emotionally mentally physically mm. but um, but I just came back from a candidate meeting where like a bunch like I had told you earlier where I just come back from but there were amazing people on there um, like people who are so passionate about changing America and, and helping it work for the people again like Susan Sarandon and and uh, Francis Fisher the Titanic mom mm-hmm. and um, and a bunch of other people but Nina Turner, who was Bernie Sanders' campaign manager, she closed the meeting. Holy crap. She turned me on fire again because she was talking about the urgency. And, and this is stuff that I know, but it's so good to hear it from somebody who's like fought tirelessly for years, and that's Nina Turner. Mm-hmm. Um, go look up just even a few speeches of hers. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, she's definitely somebody for the people. But, but that, that got me um, recharged and... Um, it was good to hear that and, and meet that group of community of people because it really is tough running a congressional race. Last primary cycle, I started and I had one friend helping me. Um, and, and I was wondering how the how in the world are we going to pull off second place? Yeah. But we did out of five candidates. And so in California, it's a jungle primary. So only the top two move on. Um, thank you so much. And um, but yeah, we did it. And so. I think um, it, it's, it's been tough, but I think we just need to press on the next 14 days. Yeah. So 
how hard has it been to do all this with COVID? Like, how, how much is all this complicated by, I mean, this is your first time running for office. Like, yes. I just can't imagine. I mean, it's hard for us to just do anything in regular life. And yeah. So, so we'll, be that, we'll be that freshman class of Congress that ran for office during a pandemic, mm. um, and we'll talk about it. When the quarantine, when the quarant- Safer at Home order was issued by Mayor Garcetti, our campaign team was like, oh, shit, what do we do? Like, we planned all this door knocking and, like, yeah. in-person events, and, like, we couldn't do any of it. But I think immediately what we – our first impulse was people didn't know what was going on. They didn't know, like, where to get resources, where to get small business help, stimulus check, whatever. And so we started organizing, like, live streams with Zoom and, and doing that. And then we just immediately went into dis- digital organizing efforts with mutual aid networks, with food distribution, and we – we're doing relief drops and participating in that. One of the cool things that we did was, um, uh, I don't know if you guys know, you you two might, but um, k- uh, mukbang. Mm-hmm. So mukbang is, okay, you do, nice. Well, so we, you know, by the time this comes out, we'll also have our first mukbang. What? Uh, which is gonna be, we're, we, we're launching a Patreon yeah. and it's gonna be <laughs> our first big Patreon content, uh, a mukbang. Where did we eat again, Josh? What, what, what did we have? Holtak? The fried chicken. Yeah, we just had some chimek. Oh, chimek. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's tight. Yeah. But we were wow. watching the Laker game and, and, and doing that, so it was. That's yeah, cool. And I, and I watched I watched your first one. I saw that there was like a playlist of videos that you had done. Yeah. So yeah, talk a little yeah. bit about it. Yeah, it was really yeah. cool. Yeah. No. So we had done these community mukbangs, and it wasn't the same idea of the original mukbangs where you just buy like twenty servings of food and gorge out mm-hmm. on it, but. Um, what we did was we picked local family-owned restaurants mm-hmm. that were struggling because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Because all of them suffered at least 80% in sales drop. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you have like restaurants closing yeah. down. And so um, after I had heard that Boba Guys had closed all of its 18 locations, I was like, oh, shit, we need to do something for our small businesses right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started a community mukbang where we would uh, feature a local family-owned restaurant for 40, 45 minutes in the episode, talk about when they first opened up, who the family members are that opened it, uh, how long they've been in the community, how long they've helped out, what their observations of the community have been, and then how they're struggling right now and how we can help. So it was just doing a spotlight on their favorite menu items. And then one of our viewers were like, hey, David, you should maybe integrate that with um, our unhoused residents and neighbors who don't have food right now. And so then we did a call of, hey, if you're watching this and you want to sponsor meals, call in to the restaurant right now, tell them that you watch David's Mukbang. And so then after each episode, we picked up anywhere from 10 to 50, 60 meals each episode to go distribute after. So then the restaurant would also get paid for those meals. Mm -hmm. And then, and so I think that was definitely life-giving and empowering to those small businesses at the time because they didn't know whether, where they were going. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, that was definitely something that we, we um, loved doing at that time and immediately went into. Probably in all the election cycles so far, this was like the coolest idea that I heard. Yeah. <laughs> and like the most in line with like things that we love. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we do FCFC recommends. We do, you know, like lots of restaurant recommendations and stuff in the area. And this is just a way to like now make that so much more meaningful and so much more important. So I think it's incredible. Yeah, because at the time it was just like, like instead <coughs> of go spending your money at Taco Bell or mm-hmm. whatever, go to a local family owned restaurant because they actually need that those 10 20 30 dollars to pay for a part of their electric bill like yeah. otherwise they're going to become another taco bell exactly yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah taco bell doesn't need your money because there's just going to be more taco bells unless you want only to eat taco bell yeah you, yeah. you can either help someone pay their rent or you can help put a decal on a yacht <laughs> yacht decals and a and a, and a taco bell in the next lot so yeah just, you know a couple per block instead of just one but no i thought that that was so important and i, f- I forget which restaurants you did but there was a couple on there that were ones that we were all big fans of i think yeah nice. my favorite restaurant in la is yellow house cafe oh I used to that's that's my what's favorite. up june <laughs> yeah wait yellow house cafe is the big yellow house yeah right mm-hmm. and there's like a ton of different areas that's my favorite in korea in all of la it's definitely yeah yeah, it's it's got a fun vibe to it that's well you know what i and it just slipped my mind because i used to go there a lot but i haven't gone in a while but like of course they're hurting you go there for the whole environment Mm -hmm. the punigi you want to sit down with your friends it's like and then for people in koreatown who don't have yards and who don't have like outdoor seating like this was like the outdoor seating spot for all of them Mm -hmm. so of course they're hurting so yeah i support them support yellow house order their desserts they're delicious yeah. Well, I think that's a natural natural segue, guys, for for recommendations for this week, and I'm gonna I'm gonna start it off. I've got my 
<coughs> I've been concealing it just for this moment. Oh, God. I got my voting sticker. Nice. I, voted, I voted today. I went and voted, uh, put my mail-in ballot in the box right next to the Olympic swimming pool in, you guessed it, Expo Park. For, for, yeah. For backyard. Um, Correct ballot know. box? Yeah, yeah. Okay, the, the, cool. Just the make sure. That's box. been fucking wild. I know. Like, Holy fuck. Yeah. The re- fucking California GOP. Yeah, and then bitches. people setting fires in the real ballot boxes, too. That's been happening? That's been happening, too, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. My, my recommendation is just vote early. Vote, you know, uh, I guess as soon as you're ready, but, you know, get your vote in. Get, if you, you probably already have it at your house, you have now tons of information. Again, shout out to The Land, who came on last time. They're, they're uh, election zines out there's an article on the digital version uh, featuring our guest tonight uh david so yeah get schooled on on those those down ballot uh political races that you might not normally care about because again the place where you really can make a difference is in local politics so get out and vote my recommendation is to vote quickly don't wait all the way into the end just so you can vote at bank of california stadium although that is going to be cool that lafc has that going on and shout out to all the supporters who are going to be poll workers and stuff like that but um, yeah Get your voting and nice. put your little stickers that they send you the mail on you, and you can feel like you actually did it. I felt great today. <laughs> yeah. Flynn, do you want that? Do you have a recommendation? Um, no, skip me real quick. I I can't think of anything right now. All right, I know Ryan has one. Recommendation, uh, Ryan? I mean, yeah, no, I'm gonna do it. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna tell a quick story about why everyone should stay away from FIFA 21. I know it sounds weird, but just stick with me for a second. Volta League, the international street league with the storyline that you can play alongside champions league and all the regular football fixtures allows you to kind of cherry pick teams from players uh, from teams that you've beaten as you go along in the story mode and i was like waist deep in ready to like you know try to capture mbappe and take over the volta world and i come across this dude uh to be selected named and you know again stick with me y'all nate as in nate dog Higgers, as in Tigger with an H, and you know, do the quick math on, you know, switch that N and that H and see what you come up with. And what I have is a pretty massive just question for FIFA, EA Sports in general. Like we know racism is an unfortunate, has an unfortunate place in this game, but that was jarring, man. Just as a black man, just like trying to enjoy his day off playing FIFA, to come across, you know, someone's not so subtle way of putting hate i'm not saying the word on the podcast into this game in like such an egregious manner i was uh equal parts shocked and disappointed and appalled so i got the electronic version if you get it within two weeks you're able to return it for full funds so i did that uh you know i understand that we all love this game and look forward to it every fall and this is the one that's going to be with the ps5 for the first time so there's huge anticipation for it but you know there's also that player. So it, I, I put him on the team, on my team, and made myself look at him in order to play the game, and I couldn't do it, which is why I ended up returning it. If it's something you can live with, then, you know, it's something you can live with. But if it's not, at least, you know, you, you've been given word and don't have to experience it for yourself because it's not pleasant. That's actually fucking ridiculous, the it, fact that that's, that it, exists. How did Nate yeah. Higgers get through? Like, how? It's wild, man. It's, I just stared at it like I've got to be reading this. Right. I mean, we're gonna be doing the screen cap and fucking and tweeting and email and fucking yay after this. That's fucking stupid. Yeah. I can't believe you're doing that shit. I mean, yeah. the whole th- it's like Check I mean the whole th- rated E for everyone. I mean the game itself is trying to do this. I mean sometimes yeah like they're they're trying to do this whole kick racism out of football shit and the fact that like the Mbappe's the flagship the cover, game man. yeah and you have a black man on the cover. What the fuck are you doing? It's yeah. It's weird. And this is a game that we fucking love. What the fuck are you guys doing? This is horrible. It's weird. And now it's just like, I don't have anything to play. (laughs) (laughs) This is really just a recommendation for winning 11-7, the the, the rival rival game of FIFA. Go go check that out. We might might have to vet Tez, too. I don't know. (laughs) Josh Feist, do you have a recommendation? Yeah, I'm going to recommend Minor Feelings, Kathy Park Hong. God damn it. (laughs) You you skipped. I know. That's our book club book, too. It's our book book club book. We're going to be... Doing an FCFC book club uh, Zoom meeting um, around it next week on Tuesday, and so you'll hear the Zoom link for it. Um, I'll be helping to lead a discussion around it, and I'm really excited because, I mean, in the beginning she talks about you know the, the validity that Asian um, Americans feel about you know whether it's like their their suffering and their problems on the spectrum of suffering in American history and American politics right now. Like where do we stand on that? Where they feel insufficient to talk about, it. and the fact that 
we are I didn't even recommend the book. I didn't know about the book till my Mexican homies told me like, hey, we should read this book together. Or Dweez, you told me like, let's read this book together. That in itself is already encouraging to my own fucking like insecurities as an Asian American person here. But it's like, I, this book is actually like, I read a lot before I'm about to sleep. Don't read this before you're about to sleep. Like it fucks you up and you, you have to wrestle charged. with a lot yeah. of shit. She's talked a lot about, you know, her own identity and wrestling with therapy and all that mm-hmm. shit. And it's, uh, it's quite a dark place, but it's necessary. And so I'm excited to talk about with the whole FCFC family on Tuesday through uh, Zoom, which you'll see the link on our bio on Instagram and Twitter. Kathy Park Hong, it, the book is Minor Feelings, it's phenomenal. David, do you have a recommendation for the people you are allowed to talk about the election to if you want to, of course. Is this recommendation about anything? anything. About anything. Yeah. Got it. Go watch the Blackpink documentary on Netflix. Fire. Go watch that and you'll fall in love if you've never heard about them. Oh, man. Because after you watch it, you'll be like, I didn't know this group before, but I love it. I love the group. Um, Ooh, do you have a yeah, favorite so member? I, I would have to say it's Jenny. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, ever since I was a kid, man, it was always the rapper of the groups. Yeah. Lisa. That's, well, Lisa is just like yeah. a little Asian Ariana Grande, bro. Oh, she got that vibe going yeah. on. Yeah. I love yeah. you, Lisa. But Lisa, Lisa, the whole like Thai rapping thing, man. Yeah. She's, she's getting down. Thai yeah. rap. That's so cool. Well, like there's like eight Thai people that are scattered throughout K-pop groups in Korea right now. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Shout Amazing. out Thailand. So, recommendations? Uh, um... You should get Dodgers a dog. game too. You should get a dog like Slim's. Oh, oh yeah. What the hell? You just got a dog, bro. Yeah. 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 Just announced that. Well, yeah. That's kind of why I can't think of anything to recommend. Like I just got a dog last night, and I, he's consumed my whole Aww. existence, and <laughs> I don't really have a social life anymore, guys. So I'll see you guys in 2022, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, since he's a youngin', he's eight, right? Not 24. Um. <laughs> Right. Uh, you're going too deep, bro. Oh, okay. He's not getting a number. He's, he's a dog. <laughs> Stop talking crazy. <laughs> Dang, Kobe. And on that note. You're eight to me. And on that note, David, thank you for coming. And this has been another episode of the FCFC Pod. Appreciate y'all tuning in with us, and we'll see y'all next week. Go vote. Vote go for vote. David. Please. Vote in general. Let's fucking go. Your word. Later. FCFC. FC, 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 F